I don't think you should think about in terms of minutes accumulated. I think you should think about it in terms of days accumulated. Start with trying to accumulate days where you're getting at least 20 minutes of aerobic, something easy where you could have a conversation. Harder than walking, like the next step up from fast walking. 30 minutes is a good kind of lower end barometer once you're kind of used to doing things. So if you can think of getting out and getting it at least 30 minutes in, you're in a you're in a good spot. Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined as always by my good friend and colleague, Brad Stolberg. Brad, what's up, man? Hey, Steve. It's good to see you. I'm doing well. I'm excited for today's uh, podcast topic on why exercise ought to be a part of your job, even if you are not an athlete. I had a very um, intimate relationship to this this morning. When I did not want to go to the gym to do my quote unquote zone two aerobic training, but I went anyways and I didn't go for any other reason than it's an important part of my job. And I said, you know, you don't get to choose when you show up to do your job, you just show up and do your job. And uh, considering exercise a part of my job has helped with that. You know, I love that. So let's, let's dive into that for now. So, you know, I think there's two things that come to mind here is there's exercise being a part of our job. I think a listener could hear that and be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I don't want to feel like I have to do that. Like, I don't want to feel like it's the drudgery of showing up to work for some people. But I think what we're getting at is the nuance there that it's not feeling like you have to and always feeling like a burden of showing up, but it's akin to the job that you kind of enjoy and want to do. So it's akin to our job of we enjoy writing. We enjoy, you know, um, communicating with others. But that doesn't mean that every day we sit down and stare at the page and have to write a newsletter or part of our book that it's just pure on enthusiasm, right? Part of it is just showing up to the page every day and seeing what the page gives you. And I think framing exercise in a similar way is helpful, is that some days, you know, you're going to get a paragraph. Some days you're going to get five pages when it comes to exercise. Some days, you know, I see it as I'm going to get a great hard workout in. Other days, I'm barely going to kind of get through it. And my my run goes from seven minute pace to eight minute pace to maybe even nine minute pace just to kind of get the get the the time on my feet and 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 check that box. And I think that's the framing that is helpful versus seeing exercise as this thing where, you know, you show up when you feel good and only when you feel good. Yeah, I think that that's right. It's interesting because I um I was coming at it from a slightly different angle, which is I view my two primary jobs in life is to be a good husband and a good dad, and then to be as good of a writer and slash coach as possible. Um, And I think that what can help motivate me 
often to exercise, especially the stuff that I don't want to do, which is aerobic training, is to tell myself, well, I want to be excellent at these two primary jobs and I want to do them for a very long period of time. And I know that when I'm aerobically healthy and fit, my brain works better. And I also know that by developing good aerobic health and fitness, my brain will work better for a longer period of time. And I'll have that brain to bring to bear on those two important parts of my life, on my family and on my work. So exercise is like flossing or brushing my teeth. Now, not all exercise, like the strength training right now I love, but I'm talking about going in, riding the bike in the ski erg at a tedious all-day pace, the stuff I don't like doing, but the stuff that is the number one predictor of like, you know, your blood pressure and consequent risk for dementia, stroke, and cardiovascular disease. Uh, and if I want to be doing this kind of writing work into my 70s and 80s, or if I want to be around for my kids and maybe one day grandkids, great-grandkids, who knows, into my 80s and 90s, then I need to sit on the bike and do the ski erg uh, more than I want to anyways. So that's one realm. I think that it's a part of my job. And then the other realm is something that we talked about recently on the podcast, which is just like having multiple rooms in your identity. And I think the strength training part of exercise for me, which is much more around performance and mastery, um, that's really helpful because it makes sure that I never over-index on like just winning at book sales or winning at podcast downloads because I can win at deadlift. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what you're getting at is the multiple uh, avenues that exercise can provide. And I think this is a good way to look at it is there's the performance side, which I think most of us are used to seeing exercise through, especially if we were athletes when we were younger. We exercise to get better at something, right? You run a lot to compete better so that we can run faster, race faster, we lift more so that we can compete better, see how much we can lift. Uh, we train as athletes to become a better football player or soccer player so that it can help our game and compete. So that oftentimes, if you have an athletic background, comes naturally. But as we age, like that shifts a little bit. And we have these other kind of roles or avenues that it can fulfill and I think what I hear you saying, which I agree, is it often shifts towards health, longevity, like keeping your mind, body sharp, aging well, like being able to do things with your kids and family for a longer period of time. And that's a, a slightly different kind of motivation, right? There's a difference getting out the door and doing a hard workout because you know in six weeks, you've got um, a half marathon on the schedule that you're trying to perform well. It's a different thing when you're sitting there thinking, I'm going to keep doing this so that I can get this kind of, you know, it's real, but it's also feels a little bit less concrete, nebulous, this benefit of thinking clearly, clearer so I can write well, or on a longer term horizon, like lifting weights so that when I'm 65, 70 years old, I can, you know, uh, play with the grandkids or whatever it is, right? And it's just this this subtle different motivation, not too dissimilar than I think the analogy you used, which I was going to use as well, which is, you know, why do you brush your teeth and floss so that you have teeth when you're, you know, older in life and don't have to, you know, deal with that? So I think it's an apt analogy for switching that that kind of motivational 
drive behind things. Yeah, especially for the parts of it that you don't necessarily want to do, right? Because if it's just like, oh, do this, what for me, I find tedious, boring, aerobic exercise uh, because it will make you healthy. Well, that's way too nebulous. Like I already feel pretty healthy. Uh, Do it because it will help you lose weight or look a certain way. Well, I'm happy with my weight and I'm happy with how I look. Um, But do it because we know that it supports your brain health when my brain is my most important tool in my work and in my family life. Uh, it just helps me. It's a motivator. Like, I guess that's what it is. It's an external motivator. Cause right now in my exercise journey, if it were up to me, I would just focus on strength training and take walks, which, you know, as you talked about in your exercise special is like pretty dang healthy. Uh, but like there's enough research that shows that getting your heart rate a little bit higher than what you do in walking for a sustained period of time is good for your vascular system. And I just haven't been doing it. And good for your vascular system isn't enough, but for me to say like, hey, I want to be writing into my 70s. I want to be there for my family. And, um, you know, dementia rates are very high. And the the only real modifiable risk factor that we know about is aerobic exercise. So that that helps motivate me uh, to, to do it right now. And then it also gives me permission. And this is something that I talk about a lot with my coaching clients, but I've been feeling this acutely because as listeners know, I've been launching this book and it's a full on job. So it's very easy to say, well, you know, the trip to the gym to use the ski erg, and then you got to shower even just a half an hour, it becomes a, a one hour and 15 minute thing. Shouldn't I just be working? But if I can reframe that and say, well, exercise is a fundamental part of my work, then it becomes a lot easier to show up and do and not see it like I'm sacrificing to do it. Yeah, and I think the key there is it's going to be different for every person. So for me, like the getting out and doing the aerobic stuff isn't a job. It's what I enjoy. But, you know, maybe now... You got to start lifting some weights, man. You don't want to get osteoporosis for real. No, I'm good. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I thought that's where you were going. No, I was going to go the other direction, which is I think is more important, which is like doing the hard workout, which there's benefit to doing for the long, both from a brain health standpoint, but also kind of a longevity standpoint as well is the more difficult thing to do. And I should say doing the hard workout is also, we want to talk about, you know, bone health and, you know, strength and all that stuff. Like doing the hard workout is a big contributor to that because normally that means doing something fast. That's what I'm talking about. Um, That is easier to go by the wayside because I can rationalize it and be like, I'm not competing. Like, why do I need to go to the track and, you know, do some fast 200s or go sprint up a hill. Like, that's kind of painful. Kind of sucks. Like, do I really want to feel that kind of burn in my legs? Not really. But you do it because it's like part of, again, to use your language, part of the job is is setting the parameters on how often do I roughly need to do something like that? to maintain kind of this health and fitness in a good enough spot where I feel good about where I am in terms of my mental and physical health over the long haul. 
Is there really evidence you would know better than anyone that that kind of like, uh, and I know that you're the anti-zone person, but something approaching like VO2 max or a very hard workout uh, does contribute over just sustained like good aerobic training to that? Or is it more for your mental health and like your ability to do hard things? No, absolutely. So if you look at, I mean, I if you look at the decline in VO2 max as we age, like you essentially it's going to go down. So VO2 max is basically your maximum aerobic uh, capacity. Um, it will go down. Okay. But what slope you go down is dependent on two things where you started kind of, and I should say where you started when you start aging. So forties, you know, et cetera. And then it's also dependent on that, that kind of slope of how fast the decline is. And there's enough research that shows doing something pretty hard, um, that at least spikes your heart rate, we'll say up to near max, um, does benefit in that. And it benefits in a couple different ways. Once One is there's the adaptation from the heart and cardiovascular system itself, where spiking your heart rate up there provides that stimulus of like, oh, we need to maintain, a, in simplistic terms, a, a high max heart rate, you know, just to be used. And the other thing I think is as important is VO2 max is dependent on... Um, on muscle recruitment as well, which is often not known. So the more kind of muscles you can recruit, the higher VO2 max. This is why who scores highest in VO2 max? It's the skiers. Why? Because they're recruiting all their leg muscles, essentially, and their arm muscles. <laughs> so it's like a very high, de- high demand in an aerobic way. So if we look at, well, one of the ways we look at, at muscle recruitment is you tend to recruit um, you're kind of easy to recruit slow twitch fibers first until, you know, the power demands, the fatigue demands go up. And then your body goes like, oh, we kind of need these harder to recruit fast twitch fibers to carry the load. One of the ways to kind of, you know, touch on that is to either do something pretty hard or do something like very fast or power oriented for a long enough time where you recruit uh, more muscle fibers. So, Long story short, yeah, there is there is some some evidence around that. How long does it have to be? I'm asking for a friend. Would a hard set of eight squats, where the whole thing takes probably thirty seconds with bracing, count? So there. So again, I would encourage listeners to think of this from a muscle fiber recruitment standpoint. And I get that we're going sciency, but if we think of it from a spectrum of the easiest to recruit, so if I went on a walk, I'd use these muscle fibers to go on a walk. To let's say the hardest to recruit would be like if I line up against Usain Bolt in the 100 and I'm just sprinting all out, right? So if we do that sprint, we're like getting all our fast twitch fibers. In this case, if we looked at that squat, you would do a really good job of recruiting those fast twitch fibers, which is important, Right. Where you you probably wouldn't do as good of a job is recruiting what we call like those intermediate kind of fibers, the the in between ones that are kind of blend slow twitch, switch, fast twitch. Um, unless like you were doing something, let's let's say you shifted it to squat, um, um, more of like a still pretty heavy maybe like 70, 
75% max, but did organize the sets in a way that you could get higher volume and create a robust fatigue response. Yeah, this would, would be like that. the doing like uh, like sets of five on the minute, every minute for 10 minutes, and yep. suddenly you've got like 50 reps. Yeah, those are hard. So what you're saying is the best VO2 max workout, if you have access to it and you are able-bodied to do it, is like a ski erg because you're recruiting all the muscles and you're doing it in a way that you can like really ramp up to sustain whatever that pace is for a long period of time. And I know now we're like, we're splitting hairs, whether you sprint, whether you ride a bike or do it probably doesn't matter, but it's interesting to think about it in terms of recruiting the most muscle fibers for a period of time that is long enough to get a stimulus. Yeah, exactly. No, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, I don't, it's splitting hairs. You should do what you enjoy on this, but yes, absolutely. If you could get a ski erg and do some intervals on that, you probably would get your best bang for your buck. So then, you know, in the spirit of thinking exercise is a part of one's job, and for the listeners that are not professional athletes that work with their brains and that value their ability to think, whether it's for their professional life, their personal life, or both, um, and I think that we've beat this drum a lot, but like, let's, let's get really practical here. So would you say that you want to aim for between like 90 to 150 minutes of aerobic. And I know you don't like that word either because right now I'm aerobic because I'm using oxygen, but we're going to use words that people use, Steve. So like aerobic zone two type where, you know, you can kind of breathe out of your nose, you can have a conversation, but it's not so comfortable. 90 to 150 minutes of that per week. And then sprinkle in what two really hard efforts a month. And that probably gets you there. Yeah, I, you know, I love how this is uh, what Steve doesn't like in exercise land. I know, but this is what everybody does like. And I'll tell you why, because not everyone is an exercise elitist like you and people want practical advice. Well, no, I'm not against practical. I just think that um, here I'll give practical advice. I don't think you should think about in terms of minutes accumulated. I think you should think of it about it in terms of days accumulated. And the reason there is I think the research and our knowledge is pretty clear on this is that, you know, if you go out and get your 90 minutes and two 45-minute sessions, it's probably not as good as getting, you know, now I'm going to do math here, as, you know, four uh, 22-and-change minute sessions in terms of adaptation over the long, long haul. Now there is a limit there, right? You can't say, oh, I'm going to go every day and go out and run one mile and get, you know, 10 minutes worth of work. Like the stimulus isn't enough depending on the individual, right? So if you're newbie, like that, that bar is lower. So I guess what I would say is, you know, my practical advice is think of accumulating days, Start with trying to accumulate days where you're getting at least 20 minutes of aerobic. And then this definition will just say something easy where you could have a conversation, but you couldn't like have a conversation without breathing. (laughs) You know, it's like you got to have some space where it's like, oh, I need to breathe a little bit. Um, Because harder, harder, harder than walking, like the next step up from fast walking. Yes. So do that. 20 minutes plus, ideally, I think in the literature and experience, like 30 minutes is a good kind of lower end barometer once you're kind of used to doing things. So if you can think of getting out and getting it at least 30 minutes in, um, 
you're in a you're in a good spot. And I think that's what that's for my health. I would say 30 minutes plus um, accumulating ideally, you know, at least three to four days a week. But the more in terms of that you can handle and tolerate and be okay with the better. And then twice a month for yeah. like the, the hard workout because that, and, and by the hard workout, I mean, that could be like three sets of three with two minutes rest, right? Like the, if you're not training for performance, the point is just to like hit that kind of upper end of oxygen uptake. Yeah. And all I would say that here is what I like to do is I would say, I just kind of call it every other week, do something hard. Yeah. And what I would suggest is like, if is shift around your heart because it doesn't matter too much because you're going to adapt to it because you're not doing it. You're not an elite athlete or a college runner doing two to three hard workouts a week, maxing things out, right? If you're doing something relatively hard every two weeks, then you can play with what that heart is. So I would say shift between something short and something slightly longer. So if you're feeling like, ah, you know, I don't really have a lot of energy in it. Do some 30 second, you know, reps in terms of, you know, run hard, bike hard for 30 seconds, take 30 to 60 seconds rest, do that for a couple times and you'll be good. Two weeks later, try and do two minute reps or three minute reps, you know, and just a handful. And like that way you get your bases covered of like this kind of intensity to kind of duration relationship that we know exists. Yeah, it's it's a great framework. And to to make it real, I think that um the challenge with this that that people say is like, well, I don't have time to do it. And there again, I think this is where it can be helpful to say, well, if it's a part of your job and you have time to do your job, or if it's a part of being um a present family member, not just now, but in the future, and you have time for family. Well, then you ought to have time to to do this. Um, but there are some real trade-offs. Like I'm I'm facing these right now, Steve, because I've realized that my long walks with the dog, even when I wear uh like a 45-pound rucksack, or I don't have the actual rucksack brand, I'm not giving them free publicity, although I've heard they're great, but I just use a backpack and I put a kettlebell in it. It's probably why my back always hurts. Um, but even even when I do that with the dog, like I'm not, it's not really enough of an aerobic stimulus I've realized. So for me now, it's like, well, I got to walk the dog for 45 minutes or so, or at least throw him his toy because otherwise I feel guilty about not doing that. Uh, I'm strength training four days a week and those workouts take about 75 minutes. And it's like, well, where am I going to find the time to do the other aerobic work? And that's kind of the, the conversation I've been having in my head. And just recently it's been helpful to reframe and say, well, make it a part of your job. And if that means that the strength training workouts have to get shortened. So you do the aerobic workout instead of making your biceps look bigger. Great. Like it's your job. You got to do your job. If that means that, uh, instead of sitting on social media, responding to people, uh, for an hour, I only do that for 15 minutes because that allows me to get a quick workout and shower in. Great. It's part of my job. Uh, and I think that that framing can be really, really helpful. I think for most people that don't, do something like that don't basically essentially strength train for mastery or like don't woodwork, don't have another mastery feat in their life. I think then there's, there really isn't an excuse. Um, 
particularly if you have the means to purchase a treadmill or an exercise bike and put it in your house, uh, it's not hard to get the four by 30 minutes or more. I think where it becomes challenging is when you have these other hobbies uh, that take a lot of time. And in my case, it's it's powerlifting. Yeah, exactly. And the one thing I'd, I'd add there um, that is practical is like, get creative on this. So I'll give two examples here. So one is for that walk, you know, you know, right. So if you wanted to turn that in and you say, Hey, the walk isn't, you know, the high end aerobic enough. What do I do? Well, one of the simple things is you can alternate that walk with your dog by like, you know, striding it out for 30 seconds and getting your heart rate up a little bit and it'll stay elevated as you walk a little bit and stuff like that. And that can help. But if you, if you're like Brad and, you know, can't run anymore. It's not that you uh, can't run anymore. Well, I I think that my calf would be okay with that. It's that I have a 90 pound German shepherd. I mean, I've have, I've, I've got a 65 pound shepherd and we, you know, shepherd mix and we do that. We just, you know, sprint after a squirrel for a little bit and then slow down. Um, so each dog is their own, but the, the other thing, and I've done this with our dog as well is the other thing is you can, and maybe not with your dog, but I've done it, but you can turn it into some sort of circuit as well. Like stop at a bench and do some step ups or jumping jacks or whatever have you, or alternatively, if you have a hill, like do some hard walking up the hill to elevate the heart rate, come back down, repeats up and down there. Like there's lots of ways to get creative. And then the last thing I'd say on the workout that is, you know, an addition to that is, you know, you don't have to plan it all. So for instance, like this, hey, every couple of weeks, you know, every two weeks I need to do something hard. Instead of being like, hey, this, I need to do this thing hard. I just say, you know, on my morning run, I'm going to go the first mile easy. And if I feel great that day, I'm going to go do something hard. And if that day comes, I'm like, great, time to check the box. Like today I have a little more energy or a little more time. It's time to do that hard thing to get this, get this over with. And on other days, if I've just after that mile jog, just feel like crap. I just keep jogging the rest of it. Yeah. I think the, the best, and I, I'm a, anomaly, abnormality, anomaly, maybe one in the same here. And, and this is because, well, my one calf allows me to do it. Now my other calf doesn't. So it's a longer story. I'll probably need Steve and listeners another surgery. And the question is just when, but if I could do this without my calf getting to nine out of 10 pain and like, it's going to blow up. And what I have coaching clients do, and I think is the easiest and best because Sitting on a Peloton or exercise bike for a lot of people is very tedious and it hurts your butt. A skier is uh, you wear out your arms generally before you actually get a good stimulus. Nothing is better if you can afford it and nothing is more compact than purchasing even a not so nice cheaper treadmill, setting the incline to six, setting the pace to about a 15 minute mile and putting on a backpack and just walking up a hill for 30 minutes. You don't have to walk back down it. That's the beauty of a treadmill. Your heart rate stays up. You can listen to a podcast. You can make a phone call so long as you're okay breathing hard on the phone. And it's just 30 minutes of walking up a hill. And not only are you getting the good aerobic uh, workout from that, but perhaps, if again, if you're thinking about this as a part of your job for your cardiovascular and brain health, 
um, you're also getting, um, you're getting like good weight bearing exercise because when you walk up a hill, you're building muscle, you're building bone density. And these are not things that you're doing on a bike or swimming or even on a skier. So I think it's one of these things where people really complexify and probably the simplest way to do it is just to walk up a hill for 30 minutes. And if you have an actual outside hill and you've got time to walk back down, then do it outside. But if not, there's, there's no better way to do it than a treadmill set to a high incline. That's my opinion with a backpack if you need it. And that is why the original or one of the original VO2 max protocols is not running or cycling or what have you. It is literally walking a little bit faster, but still not that fast as the incline goes up and up and up and up until you will hit your VO2 max. Um, so no, I'm, I'm with you. There's nothing wrong with cranking that treadmill incline and going up a mountain. Yeah. And, and, and doing it outside if you can, but again, like it's the number one thing It's the reason I, I don't even in addition to my calf is, well, then you got to walk back down and one, you got to find a hill that is hilly enough where your heart rate's up Two, you got to be okay. Destroying your legs on the way down. So like say goodbye, if you're into strength training to a good weightlifting session later that day or the next day, cause going down a hill for 30 minutes just torches your legs. Um, so on and so forth. So there's all kinds of ways to do it. If you're not crazy about powerlifting like me, you can do it outside probably very well uh, if you have a big hill. But even if you only have that 30 minutes, um, just crank up that crank up that incline and, and get it done. But coming back to our main theme, I think it's just remembering that um, even if you're not performance focused in sport, if you care about being on the planet for a long time and having good years. And if you care about, um, how well your emotional and cognitive health is, then exercise is really important and it, and it ought to be a part of your job and the brain health thing, maybe because my brother's a neurologist and like the studies just keep coming in. So I've been hearing about this more from him. Uh, but even if like, Oh, like longevity, that that's, that's important and it's been around and it's played, um, but the brain health thing, like that linkage just seems to be getting clearer and clearer and clearer that the number one thing that we can do to prevent clinical dementia and even subclinical, just like age-related cognitive decline is aerobic exercise, like straight up. Um, one could argue that the most important arbiter of neurological brain health is actually your blood pressure. So what 50 years ago people might have thought of as heart health is also equally brain health. And, um, that is a really strong motivator for me because like I said, you know, at the end of the day, especially as I age, like a, a well working brain is going to be the tool that I hope I can keep around for as long as possible. Absolutely. Exercise is medicine. So what I would sum this up with is yes, there are, you know, parameters and protocols, but like, don't get lost in the internet weeds. <laughs> you know, we tried to simplify, it, because like that's what matters, right? Something that is sustainable over the long haul that you can get done every day or most days, like brushing your teeth, um, make it work for you. If that's going up an incline on a treadmill, great. If it's going outside and jogging, great. If it's combining lifting with ski erg, awesome. Like find what works for you and and make it again part of your job in the way that Brad so eloquently described, so that. 
you can do it over the long haul and stay a healthy, happy human being. Love it. All right, y'all. Well, with that, um, happy aerobic zone two training. Steve, try not to freak out that I just said zone two. If you guys could see Steve, he's shaking his head and not in the positive way, but in the side to side negative way. Um, if you want to learn more on why Steve thinks that zones don't exist, at Steve Magnus on Twitter. I'll tweet about it at least once a week, so you'll see it soon enough. Uh, otherwise, the name of the game is uh, somewhere in between walking and running, something you could do for a long time, but that requires you know a little bit of extra hard breathing. Uh, you sweat a little bit, and uh, your heart rate's up. So get it in, uh, and with that, we will catch everybody next Wednesday. Thank you for listening. If you like the podcast, share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues. Uh, We want to spread this message far and wide. We appreciate you listening. Mm